Well, I want to take you on a uh, brief four and a half minute trip back in time. And some of you were there for the Jesus Movement Revolution in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, some of you have just heard about it as legendary. Uh, what you may or may not understand is that when things started happening in the 60s and 70s, there was no contemporary Christian music. Uh, all of a sudden, churches were invaded by people with long hair that hadn't taken baths for weeks. They smelled like patchouli. Uh, they were talking about Jesus in bold ways that you have never heard them, uh, ne never heard people talk about before. I remember at our church, all of a sudden, there were guys in fatigues, Vietnam vets with long hair that had come back from Vietnam, that had come to know Christ. And uh, they scared people in our church. These guys were so radical for Jesus. Well, this week I was uh, driving along, actually I got in my car and I turned on the radio and this song came on and the Lord started to speak to me and said, I want you to share this with the church on Sunday and I'll tell you why in a moment. Now, for those of you that are a little bit more, um, well, the younger generations, you might find this a little kitschy, okay, especially the people that put the video together, but just listen to the spirit of the words and uh, of what, uh, this is the Doobie Brothers. Now, where have you gone to church that started with the Doobie Brothers, right? <laughs> Has nothing to do with Doobies, okay, please don't. And some of you don't even know what that means. I didn't say anything. You didn't hear Pastor Joe say a thing. So let's take a moment, and then I'll explain why we're doing this.
That uh, song first came out, and you can put the words up here in a moment. There you go. Song first came out with the Birds in 1966, and then was picked up by the Doobie Brothers in 1971. And the Lord started speaking to me as I was listening to this song, and he said, you know, not everything was perfect about the Jesus movement. There was a lot of brokenness. There was a lot of messy stuff happening. But in the midst of that, God raised up a generation, and he said, one thing your generation got right, they weren't ashamed of anything. I looked at the words, and it says, I don't care what they may say. And by the way, when it says Jesus is just all right in the parlance of the Jesus movement, that means Jesus is number one, okay? Okay, that's freak speak from way back. I don't care what they may say. I don't care what they may do. I don't care what they may say. Jesus is just all right. I don't care what they may know. I don't care where they may go. I don't care what they may know. Jesus is just all right. Do you understand? These are people, they had just come to know the Lord. They had an experience, and they stood up there and proclaimed. There was a guy named Phil Keggy. Uh, some of you know Phil that played in the bars at Kent State. Uh, used to play at Pirate's Cove and whatever down there, and their band Glass Heart became popular. He went to Carnegie Hall, and at Carnegie Hall, he put the flag up. He was a brand new believer, and he told everybody about how he'd come to know Jesus right there at that concert. It was about the end of the band, but it was uh, an amazing stand uh, to do that. The Lord began to speak to me, and he said, I want to do that in this generation. It's going to look different. But I want a generation of people that aren't ashamed of me. The, the power of the fear of man and the power of the fear of what people think about me needs to be broken over this generation. When I say this generation, I mean the four extant generations that are alive on this planet right now, all the ages. The power of the fear of what we think people think about us, which is kind of funny. There's a lot of assumptions in that statement. Think about it. The Lord is looking for people. He was not ashamed to go to the cross for us. The Son of God was not ashamed to take on human flesh. And I thought, you know, those pictures from, um, we had the pictures from the Zeffirelli movie and then the, the Mel Gibson. There were some pictures, I think, from Mel Gibson's movie up there. And I thought, you know, for some people this might be kind of raw. Folks, I've got to tell you, if we really saw what Jesus looked like, we would never be the same. You can't put it in a movie, and it wouldn't even be R-rated. It would be a lot more than that. The Savior that was not ashamed to stand for us is looking for a generation of people that will say, I am not ashamed of you, Jesus. I don't care what people think and say. And the power of groups of groupthink is so heavy right now in this generation. The power to, of, of this, this feeling that I need to conform and then I'm afraid to be called a hater, or I'm afraid to be called this. And I said, Lord, what do you want to do? And the Lord said, are you ready for transgender people transformed by the power of God to come into your midst? Are you ready for people that have been drugged out, that are at the end of their existence, that don't smell good, just like the Jesus people, ready to come into your midst transformed by the power of God? Are you ready for that? Are we ready to embrace them with love? My friend, some of you know Steve Neptune when he, he was a hippie. He's a pastor now in Aurora. When he uh, got saved, uh, he went to a church and they told him right before he was going to be baptized, Steve, if we baptize you, we've got to cut your hair. 
I think they cut like two feet off of his hair. And you know what he said? He says, I don't care. He says, I know these people are wrong about that. He said, but they've got Jesus and they've loved me. And he got his hair cut and he got baptized. So the church doesn't always get it right, folks. But I want to get something right. And that is we need to be ready to love and we need to be ready to press into this. The Lord has not released my heart on this series of uh, the, what it means to fear the Lord. And uh, I believe this is the last one, but who knows what the Lord has in store. So let's pray. Father, open our hearts. Speak to us today. Let your word have an impact on us. Help us to be courageous, God. Help us to be the people that you want us to be. We don't want to be ashamed of you. We're proud of you, Lord, and we're proud of what you've done, and we want to proclaim you wherever. But Lord, open our hearts to hear what your word has to say today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The fear of God means to be unashamed of our faith. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is often something we don't proclaim when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the good news in Western Christianity. It's a realistic element in other churches around the world. When you accept Christ in Iran, when you accept Christ in Jordan, we're going to have some uh, friends from Jordan here this September, I believe, that are going to share with us about the outpouring of the Spirit in Jordan. People are coming to know the Lord in amazing ways, okay? But when they take a stand for Christ, you know, you pay a tax in Jordan, a jizya, uh, to actually live there as a Christian. You're considered a dimmi, a half-person in the Muslim world. Taking a stand there is a little bit different than taking a stand here in the United States, isn't it? To fear God means to be unashamed of our faith. In 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you are insulted... Anybody here ever been insulted because you're a Christian? Janice is in nursery today, so she can't yell at me if I say stuff about her. (laughs) Not too long ago, she was in a store situation, and somebody said something to her, and she said, well, you know, I'm a Jesus freak. She said, I hadn't used that term in a long time. And they looked at her like, what? She said, I thought about, you know, those days long ago. Being a freak, by the way, didn't mean you were strange. Well, it did, but what it meant was is that you were a total fanatic, So you were fanatic about something, and she said that, and they said, oh, I didn't know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. But it's amazing, when you take a stand for Christ, what happens? Mm -hmm. Some of you have heard my story from many years ago, I don't tell it very often, so long ago now. But when I was a student at Kent State, and I had been partying to the point where, uh, and doing drugs and things like that, where I was on the edge of just dropping out of school, dropping out of life. And uh, I didn't know where I was going. I had lost all hope. Um, 
I even went home for a Christmas break and my parents had just redone their house and I invited a few friends over, about 80 or 100 came, trashed my parents' house. I didn't even know half the people that were there, you know, parties go, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, somebody smoking pot? No, mom, it's okay, it's just the carpet that's on fire. That's where I was. And... Um, I went back to school and I thought, man, I've got to get my life together. It's just falling apart. And my Jewish friend, Steve, that I was sitting with, I decided not to go out and go drinking with uh, all of my friends. So Steve said, yeah, let's just, let's just hang out in the dorm. He started telling me about his experience that he had had with conjuring spirits. Wrong decision. I'd have probably been safer in a bar. And as he was talking, a demonic spirit manifested in the room. If some of you, I see some of you nodding your heads, you know what I'm talking about. Just a freezing fear, a feel, feeling like something was palpable and real in that room. And I fell to my knees and I said, Jesus, I don't know what's going on here. I was raised in a church, so I knew Jesus was real. I didn't know the devil was real. I've got to tell you, I always knew God was real. But I didn't know the devil was real. And I didn't know that there was a real devil that was out to kill me. And as I was in this moment of decision, I was having these visions in my head of Satan. He was showing me how he was going to kill me. And I'm not even going to share with you, but this spirit that was in the room was a menacing spirit that was out to destroy me and my friend Steve. I fell to my knees and I said, Lord, if you save me tonight, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I don't care what it is. And I felt like all of a sudden heaven opened up and God just poured out this living water on me. I just felt like I was being washed. And I just started praising God. Well, my friend was Jewish and he said, what just happened? He said, things just shifted in the spirit in this room. So for the next 20 minutes, I started telling him about Jesus. And he says, well, I always heard Jesus was bad. I said, you would from your rabbi. Anyway, we were sitting there and we were talking. And then my roommates came back and I had a decision to make right away because they wanted to know what was going on. And I started talking about Jesus. And the first thing they did was they started mocking me. It was a moment where I had to make a decision. Am I going to stand for the Lord or am I going to deny the Lord? I remember one of my uh, friends came back. He was dating a girl. She had long red hair. I forget her, her name, but she looked at me, and she was mocking me and making fun of me, and I, I guess this was the first time I prophesied. I looked at her, and I said, you know, you're doing this because you're inside, you're insecure, and you're looking for something, and you're not going to sleep tonight because God's going to visit you. I don't know where it came from. It just came out of me. The next day in the cafeteria, she came up to me, and she had tears coming down her eyes. She said, I haven't slept all night. Would you tell me about Jesus? <laughs> there, in, in a matter of just a couple weeks, probably 300 people came to Christ Amen. on the university campus. It was the beginning of a move of God. It was just so amazing. And a group of us guys were meeting together, praying, said, what do we do? And we were reading the Gospels, and it said Jesus went out into the streets and preached, and he brought extra clothes. So we started going up to Cleveland in public square and preaching. I only knew three Bible verses. And we would go up. I had East 9th and Euclid in front of the Citizens Building, and Art had the bus stop over on public square, and we had different places, and we had thousands of tracks, two bullhorns, and we all wore three coats in case somebody needed a coat. And there was nobody telling us what to do yet because we were just reading the Bible and discovering God. That was the Jesus movement. 
Now, I don't want to go back and make some of the errors that I made, <laughs> although I'd love to go back and capture that idealism and the joy of some of the moments that we had. But my heart is hungry because I want to see something happen in this generation where people are so in love with Jesus where they don't care. And I'll tell you, when you say, when you take a stand for the Lord and you don't care what people think about you, you think that's bad. It was several weeks later, I was down in the study lounge and I kept I reading Acts chapter two. And I said, Lord, I want that. I want to be able to speak in tongues. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit like that. My roommate and Joe and I were praying and I looked up at Joe and Joe looked at me. And the minute we did that, we both got filled with the joy of the Lord. And I'd started speaking in a new language out loud in the study lounge. Now, I don't recommend this. I'm not endorsing this. By the next morning, rumors had gone out all over our residence hall that the Holy Joes, my other roommate was named Joe, were exploring the cosmos and channeling strange things. So that night, we had a little Bible study. 20 people packed into our room because they wanted to see us do weird stuff. And we ended up telling them about Jesus, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on them. Amen. See, when you, and God was very gracious, by the way, in my ignorance, okay? But when you take a stand for the Lord, something is released in the Spirit. And I want to tell you today that having the fear of the Lord means not being afraid of the world. It doesn't mean being foolish. It doesn't mean being rude. I wish I could go back and correct some of those things, okay? But it does mean to be totally surrendered to. And when you're willing to say that to the Lord Jesus, powerful things happen in your life. It says in verse 14, 1 Peter 4, 14, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I guarantee you, if you really take a stand for the Lord, people are going to insult you. Is it true? He makes it clear. He says, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Sometimes even people that do things that are right suffer. And right now, there are people in America that are trying to criminalize Christianity. They're a little bit ahead of the game in Europe. There are people being arrested there, and there are people that are losing their jobs for taking a stand for Christ. It's starting to happen here. I don't know what's going to go on with that. All I know is I don't have a choice. I'm going to stand for the Lord. In an article by William Eisenhower in Christianity Today, he put it this way. He says, unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. In other words, God's going to rescue us from everything, you know? How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it the unwarded power, for in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. Whoa, there's the thought for the day. We can pray and go home now. <laughs> he rescues me from my delusions so that he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. Isn't that good? I love that quote. 
The fear of the Lord is going to be what distinguishes true believers from false believers. Because the Bible says there will be a, a false church. There will be people that say they belong to Christ, but they really don't. I shared this last week, but it's uh, ever since, I've, I've read it many times, but ever, ever since I heard, oh, I forget his name, where it read out of my head. Uh, read this. Uh, he talks about, um, he said he read this and he wept to think that there are people that were friends of his that would not be with him in eternity. And I thought that's the way to read this. Revelation 21.5 says, he was seated on the throne, said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And I thought, cowardly? In other words, people that were not willing to take a stand for the Lord. There comes a moment in all of our lives where we have to make a decision. Are we going to stand for the world or are we going to stand for the Lord? Are we going to live to please ourselves, please our own desires, please people that we consider important to us? Or are we going to put it all aside and, and live to please the Lord? I believe that moment comes for all of us. For some of us, it came sooner. Here in the United States, things are more subtle. Isn't that true? Yep. It was a couple years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to read 2 Timothy 3, Romans 1. These are the lists of what marks people in the last days in the society and where they are going. These are people that have abandoned my word and do not fear me. And I read that, and, I, and, and I'm going to read these because I feel like the Lord is saying we need to understand where people are. Yeah. Sometimes I think Christians are surprised. Followers of Jesus are surprised. 2 Timothy 3 1 says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power. That means religious people. What I saw happen, by the way, in the Jesus movement is I saw that true move of God come face to face with a religious spirit. And when the harvest of all these young people started coming into the church and they didn't look camera ready, I, you saw the true hearts of people. There were people that rolled up their sleeves and says, come on in. There were other people that went religious on them and they didn't want them in their building. There was one church at Kent State, there was a doctor that lived there, and this was uh, in the 70s, and he gave land to churches that wanted to be close to the campus so they could reach out to students, and this church said, we don't want that land. We want to be as far away from the students as we can, they're trouble. Imagine that. Think about that. Romans 1.6 talks about, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. 1.16, excuse me. 
It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, uh, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then he goes on to talk about the wrath of God being revealed. Let's move on to uh, Romans 3, uh, 9 through 18, because I'm going to read a, we don't have a lot of time, and I, I just want to give you a summary of these. Romans 3, 9 through 18, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we are already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become together worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes." That's a mark of a generation. Back to what the Lord spoke to me when I heard that song in the car. The Lord said, remember what happened right before that song came out. I think it was Life magazine published in its cover. For those of you that are old timers, God is dead. Do you remember that? Big letters. And it was talking about how you know prayer had just been taken from the schools. We are on the beginning of a brave new experiment in society where uh, people were turning away from religion, turning on to drugs, turning on to therapy, psychotherapy, and all sorts of things like that. And the Lord reminded me, he said, just when everybody thinks things are hopeless, I come out with something that just totally turns society upside down. I think there's a lot more going on in the church now than there was back then. But I've got to tell you, we need a spiritual awakening in this country. So the Lord said, you look at these, look at these people, and I, and I kind of put down a list of what people are like according to what the prophets are saying 2,000 years ago. Narcissistic, self-centered, lovers of money, driven by greed, proud, abusive to those who disagree with them. Is this hitting you? Ungrateful, unholy, rejecting the character and the ways of God, dishonoring authority structures of family, conflict between children and parents. I put ungrateful again. I must have had that in my head there. Unforgiving, slanderous, treacherous. We found new ways of slandering. We use social media. We assault people. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of truth. People will suppress truth and deny it because of the wickedness of their hearts. Folks, most people don't decide, really examine to find out what truth is. They pick a lifestyle and conform truth, their truth, to their lifestyle. Isn't that true? They have a form of godliness, but they deny the God of the Bible and his power. They will turn to idolatry and worship what their hands have made. They will get, be given over to sensuality and fulfilling their desires. They will depart from God's design for sexuality and marriage and seek to fulfill their desires in any and every way they please. They will not merely reject God and his word. They will hate and despise God. They will become violent. Murder and violence will increase. I was at a pastor's meeting on Thursday, evangelical pastors here in Hudson, and one of the pastors asked the question. He said, how many of you have watched a television show recently that didn't have guns in it? or violence in in some form. And we had to think. I want you to think for a moment. We have a culture that exports violence. 
It's funny, some of the very people that are calling for gun control are promoting guns like you wouldn't believe it. It's hard to look at things in Hollywood and social media. The violence is at a level that we can't even imagine. And they're, I don't know about you, but that isn't what my life looks like. So what's the agenda here? And finally, it says they will have no peace. Words like senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and they will have no fear of God. But the person who fears the Lord is founded on the rock. The person who fears the Lord, their lives are solid and consistent. Since they know they will give an account to God, they do the right thing no matter what they feel or think. I said it last week, I'll say it again. I want my doctor to be somebody who fears God. I want a man or woman that fears the Lord that is going to be consistent. And by the way, Janice and I have had experiences with people that have other philosophical systems. We couldn't figure out why our son was so disrespected at a specialist doctor visit until we found out that this person was high caste Brahmin Hindu and really thought we weren't worth being given much attention. A person's philosophy will influence how they treat you. If somebody thinks that you're not going to have an eternal existence and that you don't have inherent worth because you're made in the image of God, they may say something like my friend uh, in England heard Bill went to the doctor to get a knee replacement and they said, well, Bill, you're getting close to 70. Uh, the uh, medical board has decided that you're not worth putting a knee replacement in. You're just going to have to live with it. Because people at your age, you know, the value kind of goes down. As you get older, you have less value to society, right? Wrong. Don't agree with that. We should honor those. And it's not just because I'm getting closer to that age. (laughs) David Ekman said it. He said, I love going to China because he said they honor me as an elderly person there. Does David Ekman have anything to give at age 72? The gold that he shared with us when he was here, the words that he shared with us, and he's impacting the entire nation of China. His books are selling like hotcakes. Because there, when you are old, they assume you have great things to give before you go into eternity. Let's move to the next slide. The fruit of walking in the fear of the Lord. Number two, if you seek to be a God-pleaser by being a God-fearing person, you will be challenged for your faith, but God will honor you and stand with you. He doesn't always take the consequences of your stand. I want you to consider the story of Shipra and Pua. How many of you remember them? These were the midwives that they were told by Pharaoh, when male children are born, you need to kill them immediately. You need to throw them in the river. Exodus 1.15, it says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt have told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people. By the way, if you want to make a case for lying to save lives here, this is an ethical and moral dilemma that we can talk about, but you have to buy me coffee to hear what I think about it. 
What was they? What did the Lord do? It says in verse twenty. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families of their own. Because they feared God. By the way, this is happening in China. You know that. There are medical personnel that are being told by the government that if people are having more than their allotted number of children, you need to kill them. It's forced abortion. And we have Christian sisters there that have suffered under that because the government has forced that upon them. For them, it's not theoretical. So may God give us the courage to make the right decision and stand. May we say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of Daniel 3, remember when they stood, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. When I had graduated, first graduated from college, I was working um, for a company, and one of the owners of the company, um, there were three guys that were owners. My dad was one of them, but one of the owners, the majority owner, was a man that was not a very good man. As a matter of fact, he was a very bad man. And uh, he, it's ironic, it was really funny, he would swear up a storm. I mean, he was so bad. And I'll never forget one day, uh, we were, we had, Janice and I had just come in. So I was 20 years old. Janice was, um, let's see, I was 21. Janice was 20. And uh, we came in and this guy started swearing and Janice got up and got in his face and she said, nobody talks about my Lord that way. This guy choked on his cigar, (laughs) blurted out his coffee. And he said, you know something? Nobody talks to me that way. He said, but you can because you're for real. He took me out later and he says, I want you to know something. He said, I know I'm I'm an evil man. This is what he told me. He said, the only reason I have you working here is because you're the only reason that God blesses this business. He said, I know God is out to get me. You never know what goes on in people's hearts. This guy was worth probably $40 million, drove a you know, silver cloud Rolls Royce, had you know, a driver. I mean, he was an intimidating guy. And he says, when your wife is around, I won't swear. I said, what about me? He says, well, you're a guy. You need to put up with it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but we had a battle. Another day, he took me out. His driver didn't show up, and he wanted me to drive him around. So I was his chauffeur for the day. He said, uh, I want to talk you out of going into ministry. He said, I'll pay for your master's degree, whatever school you want to go to. He said, we'll fully pay for it. He said, I want you to be a manager for some of the companies. I said, why do you want me to work for you? We don't get along very well. He says, because I know God's blessing you. He said, I wish I had a son like you. Sometimes when we take a stand, you never know what's going to happen. There are other times when you take a stand, I lost my job. And that was a guy that was named Preacher that was my boss. Who was, I didn't know Baptist could be backslidden, but this guy was a backslidden Baptist. He was a dishonest man. And when I took a stand for the Lord, he said, he said you know what, college boy? He said, we're going to find a way to kill you. 
He said, I don't know when it is or where it is. He said, but we're going to find, we're, I, was, I was working for a paving company, and I thought, they are. They're going to pave me. I'm going to end up somewhere between Ravana and Talmadge, paved like four inches under the pavement, you know? And I said, that's it. I'm out of here. So, so there are times when you take a stand for the Lord, and, and you never know what's going to happen. Another time, I was managing a restaurant, and a guy was harassing one of the waitresses. This was a Me Too moment. And I went over to him and I said, sir, I'm going to ask you not to do that. He said, so what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to go call the police. He said, I'm going out to my truck and I'm going to get my shotgun. I'm going to blow your head off. So I was a young guy. I said, you know what? I've made arrangements. He said, what kind of arrangements? I said, I'm going to go right to heaven. Where are you going to go? He said, because right now you just said this in front of 40 witnesses in this restaurant. So you kill me, you're going to prison, and then you're going to go to hell if you don't repent. I said, so you can do whatever you want, but you need to leave this young lady alone, and that's the way it's got to be. Real hero, huh? The rest of the night, I was waiting for the guy to come and kill me. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I thought, and of course, all the waitresses were, you know, giving me a hug, you know, oh, you know and I thought, I'm going to go out to my car tonight, and he's going to kill me. <laughs> but sometimes we need to take a stand, and it's not always an easy thing to do, is it? All right, I told you stories from long ago. So, The fourth thing I want to share with you, and we'll close with this, and I've skipped through some of this. If you want my notes, you're welcome to have that. The fear of the Lord brings a joy and a peace-producing element in our faith. Even when you take a stand for the Lord in its heart, if you are where God wants you to be, there's a peace that comes from that. And sometimes that comes even in the midst of moments where you're saying, do I really want to take a stand? Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And then listen to this in Acts 9, 31, the fear of the Lord is connected to peace here. It says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. There are a lot of people that say, you know, I just don't feel, I feel like the land that we're in, the nation that we're in, there's just this unsettling feeling that nobody's safe. Everybody's looking for a safe place on college campus, the safe place movement. People looking for a place where nobody's going to say something to them that's going to trigger them. And you know what? I don't blame them because I think God created us to be in a safe place. But what we don't realize is there's only one safe place, and that's when we fear the Lord and we're under his authority and under his protection. That's the safe place. And it's the safe place for those college students. It's the safe place for us. It's the safe place for anybody in, the, in, in our culture that calls upon the Lord. Yes. We just take a moment, and let's just be quiet before the Lord for a moment. Just bow our heads. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. One thing I didn't share today, and the Lord is just reminding me, Dave Buring talks about it in the discipleship journey. He says, fearing the Lord means referencing God in everything that you do. Referencing is a word that psychologists use for babies. When you hold a baby, you'll notice that they constantly are referencing. They're looking at your facial expressions, and they call that referencing when a child watches a parent or watches somebody and 
I feel like the Lord is saying for some of you, you've been kind of living on your own, kind of out on your own. He wants you to start referencing him and fearing him in all that you do. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he will direct your paths. For others in here, the Lord is saying he's bringing you to a place of decision where you have to decide, are you going to stand for the Lord or are you going to stand for something else? And I know I've said this before in the last couple of weeks, but God hasn't released my heart. He's, he's put this on my heart one more week because I felt that there were people that would be here that the Lord is calling right now. And he's saying, would you abandon yourself to the Lord? Would you just give yourself to him and allow him to do the work in you that he wants to do in you? Can we stand together? This is not one of those moments, I think, where we do an emotional response. This is one of those moments where we say, you know what, I, I need to make this decision and I need to walk with the Lord in this way from this moment. This is something between you and the Lord that he is calling you to. How many of you would say the Lord is doing something in my heart right now? Is God speaking to you? Can I just pray for you? And then we're going to open up, uh, we'll have the uh, prayer team available in case anybody needs prayer at the end, just for a few minutes. But Heavenly Father, I just pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would help us in this moment. Lord, there's such an intimidating spirit right now in our culture that is trying to press us into the world's mold, trying to make us think a certain way trying to tell us that uh, we should keep everything about our faith quiet, that we should not go public with it. Lord, it's almost like that law they passed in Russia, that you're allowed to worship God in a building, but you can't talk about him out in the streets. Lord, the enemy wants to silence us. The enemy wants us to compromise. The enemy wants us to be afraid of what the world thinks. Well, we just take authority right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we bind that spirit of intimidation. It's an antichrist spirit that would come against our hearts and our minds and the way that we think. And Lord, I pray as a church that you would release in us a love and a joy and a fear of the Lord and a sense of being uh, fearless in you, fearless and, and willing to stand for you in everything that we do. God, just help us. Help us to do that. Help us to be everything that you want us to be. And Lord, areas where we have been compromising, I just pray that you would reveal those things and that you would release our hearts. And Lord, I pray that the world would see a church emerging in this season that is so full of your joy, so full of your love, so full of truth, so full of power so willing to reach out and love people around them, but also willing to speak the words that need to be spoken, to speak the truth. Help us, God, never to capitulate to the world, we pray. Free our hearts from anything that would hold us back. And Lord, let this word continue to ruminate, to, to just marinate our hearts in a way that we wouldn't just walk away and forget what we've heard, but that you would remind us and that you would apply this word to our heart and soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?